Wondering how to blend project-based learning with STEAM? Yes, STEAM. Science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Earlier this year, we profiled the Cabot School's amazing public exhibition of sound sculptures highlighting water conservation. They were a big hit with the Cabot community, the students who made them, and it turns out a fair number of you guys too, our listeners. So in this episode of the 21st Century Classroom, we talk with Cabot School educator Michael Hendricks. We hear about what it takes to pull off steam-powered PBL and why Hendricks feels you can't ever really teach science without art on the 21st Century Classroom. Meet Michael Hendricks. My name is Michael Hendricks. Um, I am a fifth-year teacher. This is my fourth year at uh, Cabot School. I teach, oh God, this is going to take a while. I teach earth science, physics, biology, AP biology, chemistry, uh, AP environmental science, maker science this year, last year statistics and probability. Um, I taught a senior experiential lab. I may be leaving something out. What he's leaving out is that he tasked his current students with building makey-makey-powered sound sculptures to help raise awareness of water conservation in crisis. You might have heard about them on a previous episode of our podcast. Students shared their sound sculptures with the Cabot community at a public exhibition, pairing their interactive art pieces with TED Talks on the water crisis. The community loved it. We did, too. So we set about asking Hendricks how he, as an educator, pulled this off with his students. So what students did is um, we looked at the ideas behind fresh water and the water crisis and, um, and all the things that are happening with the world around preservation of water and where are we going with the future of water. And uh, in the process, I knew my students needed to be doing some circuitry and some basic programming and also learning how to build interfaces and, uh, and um, uh, sort of unpack basic programming. And so I came to them with the idea of, hey, let's build an interactive art exhibit. It has to center around this idea of water. But in the process, let's talk about what are the things that you're most interested in in water. And so we looked at art. Um, we looked at different uh, installations of art just to help generate ideas, uh, different water sculptures that other people had created in different contexts and different museums um, to help just sort of prime their, you know, prime their juices and get their brains going. Um, and we also studied ambient music for a while, too. And so we, we were listening to Brian Eno's um, early albums. Wait, what does ambient music have to do with science? And we had a jam session with just our computers in here one day where we all tried to, without talking, um, communicate a certain sound or an idea um, based on what that other person's first note was that they played on their computer. And so we opened up GarageBand and had musical typing up where we could play sort of a keyboard by using, like, ASDF, JKL, you know. And um, so students uh, sort of unpacked that and found out what sounds were dissonant, what sounds worked well together. And one of, the, um, one of the main ideas we wanted to reinforce in the sound sculpture collage was that all of the pieces had noises that were unique, sounds that were unique, tones that were unique, but at the same time didn't overwhelm the listener or cause a lot of uh, dissonance between sculptures. So they had to exist with each other. Um, but also remain sort of independent. Once they'd been working with sound for a while, Hendrix amped up the circuitry side of things with Makey Makeys, very small and simple electronic microcontrollers. And so 
we played around with some basic circuitry. Um, the Makey Makeys that you can get for you know 50 bucks online. Um, I picked up a few of those with a grant last year, and we had some from our um, uh, from our library that we we're using with a makerspace in there. And the students began to play games with the Makey Makey um, and just figure it out a little bit. So we had like three or four days where they just played with the Makey Makey. And they have like the dinosaur jumping gang on, on Google where you can just use your arrow keys. And so they started substituting keys out on this Makey Makey, which is basically just um, an alternative keyboard to the keyboard on your computer. So instead of pressing A, you click the, this little button over here on the Makey Makey. And so what we did is we wired those into the computer and substituted sounds on GarageBand for each one of those um, uh, connections that were made through the Makey Makey. And so they learned how to strategize circuitry. They learned how resistors work. They learned how um, a little bit of voltage, um, a little bit about electrical currents. And then they had to build all of that into their sculpture. And so there had to be an interactive piece or some kind of piece that ran itself. It had to be generative, too. And so. Um, one of our students, James, had uh, a life-size, or a scale model, rather, of Sperry Glacier out in the west. And um, as that thing melts, it slowly er erodes the landscape <coughs> and um, generates its own tones as the water and the land and the silt and the clay sort of wash off. And so it, it, as the thing deconstructs, it creates something new. Um, and then when it's all over, when the glacier's gone, the music stops. After playing around with sound and circuits, the students set about doing their research. And so the students all in, uh, investigated different ideas that they were, they were really um, interested in with regards to water. And we talked about war. We talked about um, there, there was a student who was very interested in the mechanical aspect of uh, like water wheels. And so he wanted to sculpt one of those. And so we talked about how to make that a little bit more scientific. How do we how do we build this into something that's not a crafts project? How do you make it more scientific? And I had design constraints that I put them under, um, that I met them with, and then they worked within that framework. Water is a big idea, and it, it's not easy for somebody to just attach themselves to that and say, hey, listen, water is really important, I love this aspect of water. People don't usually think about water that way. Um, and so the way that we began to sort of inspire those ideas was to look at what other people had done with water. What are the facts about water? Um, what is it like in our community? Um, why, why, why is water important to us if we've got Lake Champlain right over there? Are we going to be affected by the water crisis? Um, and so it's really all about exploration, bringing the science back to, to the content, and then also meeting the standards of um, you know, learning to do circuitry and also deconstructing and recreating things. Many of the non-circuitry materials in the sculptures came from an old piano that the town of Cabot wanted to get rid of. Hendricks and his students were only too happy to oblige, using a method he calls Break it, build it. And the piano, we, we, we had gotten a call from, from the town, and they say, hey, listen, we know you're teaching a maker's class this year. We've got this really busted up piano upstairs that A, is insanely heavy, and B, we don't want to service anymore because it's really going to cost more to even fix this thing than it is to, to, uh, to um, just you know, chuck it. And so they called me, and I said, hey, guys, do you want to go spend a couple of lab days shredding a piano and deconstructing it? And of course, they're always like, yeah, let's go get the sledgehammers. And the real lesson there was, let's deconstruct this, not destroy it, let's deconstruct it, right? And so um, there was some brute force that was used, but there was also a tremendous amount of, of um, meticulous, time-consuming deconstruction that, 
that I think the kids now have a, a much deeper appreciation for actually what went into that thing. That ended up becoming like a new design constraint that was added into it. I'm a big fan of the element of surprise and the big fan of um, the unexpected um, in education. And so whenever they, you come in and you, you bring a twist to the project, that suddenly the kids now have to think reactively and, uh, and strategize something in the short term. I think that you see a lot of really interesting learning that emerges as a result. I can't tell you how many times as we were cracking it open, they were like, I had no idea so much stuff could fit in this tiny space. And so we talked a little bit about the history of the piano. I mean, you have to think, this has been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of improvement on this one design. I mean, this is the perfect lesson for makers, right? Like this is the epitome of efficiency, this thing. Apart from having to move it, everything is really compact. And there's a harp in there and there's all of these strings and the way that they're strung has all been done with a particular design. And yeah, we're gonna have a lot of fun tearing this thing apart, but we're also gonna be able to um, figure out how this thing works. And so as we started taking them apart and we saw all these metal pieces, we kind of as a group just said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we started putting these back into the flow project? It makes so much sense because we were talking with, about water in the flow project and we're making these musical instruments and musical sculptures why don't we transform this musical instrument and turn it into something completely new? When students sat down to design their sculptures, Hendrix gave them a lot of freedom in the design process. Um, I made recommendations, but I let them do their own thing. Um, I think the design constraints that we put um, around the sculptures helped them sort of shape their ideas. They knew that it, this needed to be a cohesive um, exhibit, right? And so we didn't, they all had to have a, a level of um, of genuineness that was, the kids were all heavily invested in, in, their, own, in, in their designs. And so they, what, one thing that they did really well was they took the things that meant something to them and then created a piece of art, pitched it to the group, and then we kind of tuned it a little bit that way. So I think as they were designing it, they were keeping in mind that this needed to be not just a one-off piece that nobody, that existed on its own. They knew that they were gonna be working with other people on it. And so they were very mindful about um, collaboration with this. And one thing that we do really well at Cabot is collaboration. And so they've had some practice with, um, with working in groups and um, individualizing things for themselves. And throughout the whole unit, Hendrix and the students continued to study art. And so I think looking at the art exhibits that we looked at, um, uh, studying the art for the week or two prior to um, launching the project, really helped them shape their ideas about uh, what makes art a functional thing, and when does art not work, and when does art work really well, and then what is the message that you want people to get from your artwork, and in its current state, what is the message that it's actually giving to people? Because the difference between good art and bad art is the level of communication that's there, right? The level of misunderstanding or the level of, or of understanding. And so um, we talked about the nature of art for quite a bit and um, the philosophy behind why it is that we're creating these things. It wasn't just about um, rain, it wasn't just about water, it wasn't just about, um, you know, try not to keep your sink running when you're brushing your teeth. It was a bigger picture, it's a bigger idea. We fit it within uh, the interests of the students. But the pieces they always gravitated towards were always the ones that were like, ooh, the guy walking into the rainstorm, that's pretty awesome. How did he do that? Well, how did you think he did it? What's, what's, what's making this work? What could possibly allow this to be work? Is this art? It's raining indoors. It just looks like water falling from the sky. What are they trying to get you to, to ask yourself when you're, when you're walking through this? And so we wanted to extend it beyond just self-expression or just doing something cool. We wanted it to be conversational and 
want to have people use the art to learn about it. From the very beginning, the sculptures were intended to be presented to the Cabot community at large. We felt that the nature of, of the presentation of the TED event um, provided the information. So the, the TED event, the speakers at the TED event provided the information. And then we, we felt like visually and interactively, we also wanted people to experience it. Um, and so we thought that it was a, a nice dovetail between, between the two ideas, what was happening in Maker's Class and TED, to um, sort of capitalize on those ideas that were presented in a professional manner um, in the larger room and giving them skills, many skills that are associated with just that public presentation, that high stakes exhibition, but also allow people to come in and play. And the community loved them. And so I was checking email um, on the way home and we had had like two or three emails from parents immediately and community members immediately. And so um, the kids were just, the big thing is how the kids reacted to it. The kids were just over the roof, they, they over the moon. They loved it. Um, but up until that exhibit, those last two days, I mean, it was, they knew it was work up those last two days. You know, I mean, they were really up, up, up to the wire and getting stuff done, but they, they executed it. Um, they were under real working conditions in terms of, um, you've got a deadline just like a professional does, and your reputation is on the line if you can't demonstrate that you learned something about this and create something that's functional um, and uh, unique. Still, there were definitely challenges along the way, especially as the date for the exhibition loomed closer and closer. And for me, the rubber really met the road towards the end. That last week was a really tough time. And it was mainly because, uh, you know, tensions were high. Students knew that this was an encroaching deadline. We were having snow days and stresses were really high. Um, you know, students were really feeling very anxious about it. Um, that that they would be able to use the abilities that they had to be able to execute it in that time. And, so, and I knew, always knew that they had it, but um, you know, crankiness and things like that start creeping in at the very end. And so it's important to, when students have a really, really difficult time or get cranky or um, are really feeling stress, to sort of reemphasize the human component, like, okay, come on, come on, come on guys, come together, let's talk for a minute, let's laugh, let's look at some stuff, let's look at some art, let's decompress for a minute reunite with your sense of play um, and this will be better. You can't think about this as work. You have to think about this as, as play. Hendricks does have advice for any educators looking to try this project with their students. The best way to start this project I think is to firstly um, learn the material yourself. So play with the makey makey. You need to have the mechanics down. You need to understand the circuitry. Practice the circuitry. Try to do something kind of cool. Um, yourself first. So one of the things that I did to to launch this project was I built a burette machine that, that drops drops of water across wires. I ran it into my computer and I made a generative music device. And I brought it in and I showed the kids. And they were kind of like, whoa, we can do that with that little circuit board? I said, yeah, man, all you have to do is just you put a couple of wires in there, you ground it to the earth, you know, you, you complete the circuit. You, It's, it's a lot easier than, than you think it is. And so they began generating their ideas um, as a result of seeing something that the instructor did. Um, and so they were also told, you know, don't, you can't copy my design. You can't rip off my design, man, I made this. But you can take the ideas that I, that I approached this with and um, you can create something yourself. I think, I think you also need to be able to 
have a certain level of um, flexibility. <laughs> you have to be able to embrace the chaos because there's going to be some chaos sometimes, but that's part of the design process too. You don't know what your design is going to be until you start building it. Um, you know what you want it to be and you know what you've designed, but things are going to change. And so having a level of fluidity as an educator and as a maker and a creator, I think is really, um, really central to, to creating some successful work. Um, let's see, what, else, what other advice would I give? Build a, build a curriculum that's flexible enough to account for student interests without accounting for just your interests. Um, let them design it, not you. So don't say, hey, you know what you should do? You should build a water wheel. If you've got a kid that's really interested in building a water wheel, challenge the kid and say, hey, listen, how are we going to make this more scientific than just, and not just an arts and crafts project? What is that water wheel going to do? What's the interactive piece to this? Because just pouring water onto a tray isn't going to do it for the audience. You're going to need to have some element there that is going to show them in real time that what they're doing to the environment and to that particular sculpture is actually having an effect. And he has some advice for students, too. Create something meaningful for the audience, but also create something that's meaningful for you. There'll be frustration, but the frustration can easily be overcome by experimenting, using the scientific method, trying new things, figuring out which wires go where, if they didn't work, why they didn't work. There's a reason for everything. So in a lot of ways, um, it's sort of the same advice that I would give to, to educators too, is you gotta embrace the chaos but you have to have a goal in mind that you want to reach. Hendricks strongly believes any type of student can build circuitry-based sculptures and that all students can do both art and science. It's part of fighting back against a mindset that would confine the two disciplines to separate areas rather than recognizing that they're all part of the same bigger story. So if a student is classically good at science, um, but doesn't like to be considered an artist or thinks that they are terrible at art. Well, a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you think you suck at art, you're not going to practice art. And so you will suck at art. But if you practice these things and you try these new things, then you're opening yourself up to appreciating the universe in a different way. It's all about connectedness in my mind. And so um, I'm not interested in boring science projects. I'm, I'm interested in stuff that's going to get me going. And if I'm going, the kids are going to get going. And, um, when the kids are going, I'm going, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about the connections. It's not just about science versus art, or I think that's all fallacy. How would you have approached um, getting a student's enthusiasm for this project up if they thought that they were only an artist but, but found the science really intimidating? Oh, we had a really good conversation about that. We, <laughs> we, we talked about, so we spent like a better portion of one of the days when we were talking about the philosophy of art and we were talking about the philosophy of creation and um, you know, executing successful works. And we talked a lot about like, like the ego that's associated with art. And are you really an artist all the time or are you an artist for a moment and you're a sculptor or you're a creator all the time? Um, and we talked about how it's dangerous to put labels on things, like saying, I'm an artist, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm a, science, I'm a scientist. Um, like I said before, you're a human being, and so you have to unpack the ego from the art. Don't put yourself into a little box, you know? I mean, do yourself some credit. You're, you're bigger than that, you're better than that. 
And you may be really, really good at this one thing, but that's because you practice it all the time. And you might be really awesome at this other thing, and you might have a whole new appreciation for the issue if you try it from a different perspective. And, um, and then they start using it, and they, I, think they, I think they get it. They seem to get it. But you have to convince them by letting them do it. Um, it's not enough for me just to preach to them. I say, all right, we'll build it. Find out. What about this thing do you think is artistic? What are the elements of this that are artistic? We're not going to say that this is a successful artwork, but what parts of this do you feel approach art? And I think there's, that's all over the universe. You know, there's the way that a drawer is designed, I think, has elements of really beautiful artistic engineering. And we don't tend to see that. We tend to see the object that we need to use. What's the one thing you hope your students took away from this project? Um, confidence, um, an appreciation for, I would say confidence and I would say an appreciation for um, the non-mutually exclusive relationship of art and science, um, the two sides of the same coin. And I think if we start teaching our kids that there is no use for the arts. We slash funding to the arts, but we keep the sciences. I don't think that's right, I don't, fair, I don't, I don't think that's fair, and I don't think that's reality. Um, you need to be able to approach your world, your understanding, your reality from as many different perspectives as possible. Um, from the conservative side and the liberal side, from every side, and that includes the arts and the sciences. So I, I hope that they, in this project, learned about unity, and that art and science are not mutually exclusive disciplines. I honestly do not believe in boundaries between content areas. Um, I feel like the current state of the earth is the way it is because we keep trying to put things in nice neat little boxes and say, you're this, you're that, this is science, this is art. We need to be talking about um, you know, really educating from all perspectives. Um, you don't just leave this classroom and then go somewhere else and not learn about science or you don't get done with band and not experience any sort of music in this class. Um, I was lucky enough to have professors and teachers in high school. I went to an artist high school that sort of instilled in me that, that philosophy very early on. And so um, I feel lucky to be able to see those connections. And um, it, it also plays to other stu students' strengths, too. This has been an episode of the 21st Century Classroom podcast of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont. The music, as always, is by Dirtwire. You can find out more about them at dirtwire.net. But a huge thank you to Michael Hendricks and the students of the Cabot School for being so willing to talk about the amazing work they do.